Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Yeah, we just did a, on Marketing Instagram, we just talked, we did a show with Sean Purry from My First Million, and, you know, he sold multiple companies, everything, and we are like, man, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to grow? He's like, podcast. Unequivocally, a podcast is the hardest thing to grow in the world. And he's right. Oh, look, I've grown everything under the sun. I can promise you marketing podcast is the hardest thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it's also like, I think there's different things the way to think about There's like your network grows really well from podcasting. And that's like the huge benefit of podcasting for me, at least. And your ability to gain knowledge faster grows the podcast. But that grind of just getting listens and repeat listens, because you don't know who your audience is because the platforms don't show anything. So it's hard to really tell who's actually listening to your podcast. Email marketers, fed up with bounced emails? Get your bounce rate below 2% by verifying your emails with zero bounds. Identify 30 plus email types with 99% accuracy guarantee. Visit www.zerobounce.net and use promo code millennials20 for 20% off today. What's up, everybody? We're back for another episode of the Market Millennials. Today, I have an awesome guest, Kip Bodner, CMO of HubSpot, here to chat about cool things in marketing. We'll go into the topic again soon, but Kip, I wanted to go into how did you get into marketing? Oh, gosh. Uh, I got into marketing. There's a bunch of different stories here, but I would say I was in college. I didn't know what I was going to do for a living. I got into, so I picked journalism and then I realized you made no money in journalism, but I was like, oh, PR marketing, there's something there. I like writing. I like making stuff. And so it's kind of started working at a handful of marketing agencies was my first job, worked in agency right out of college. And it taught me all about, wow, marketing is this very broad, vast, cool discipline and career. And at the same time, internet marketing was just getting started. I was like, oh gosh, if I could learn this internet marketing thing, I bet I can do something. And that was kind of the impetus for everything. I love it. I think everybody has a cool story how they get into marketing. I think no path the same. That's why I love marketing. I think everybody has different backgrounds totally. that they bring. So, But I want to go into this topic about media and because I think HubSpot has crushed it over the years with creating great media. But how do you think about creating media, creating great content? How do you think about that? Well, yeah. So like, look, when we got started at HubSpot, it was all about email marketing. And it was largely like, oh, you create blogs and social content. You pull people into your business. And that still works, right? But the media landscape has changed dramatically since then, right? All the different social sites have essentially become destination sites. They don't want to send anybody out of their platform. And email newsletters have come on to be a huge medium. Podcasting has become a huge medium. Short and long form video has become a huge medium. And so like, the simplest way we think about media is with an audience that we're trying to reach for us. It's, you know, sales, sales and marketing leaders at, you know, growing companies. And we want to be part of their 
day, every day. And if you're just in Google search or if you're just in on YouTube or if you're just in their email inbox, like that's not enough to be like one of those places. You, you need to have different aspects where they're going to experience and interact with you in different ways. And so we basically built a media network where we have a blog network with all of our blogs. We have a podcast network with over 36 shows in the podcast network. We then have a YouTube network, email newsletter network, and we reach about 50 million people every month, 50 million media engagements every month, and they're growing that. And we're doing that for the express purpose of being a part of their day and being a part of their day beyond just like, hey, we have this product. It's cool. You should come buy it. It's like, no, no, no. We want to educate and inspire you. And then once you decide you need a product to take advantage of that information, we are here for you and you should consider us. But like our first order business is to help you, entertain you, educate you. And that's fundamentally what we're trying to do. Yeah, I love the being a part of your day because I think marketers open up different sources where people on the, at the end of the day, we like to consume on social, YouTube. We like to get educated in different spots. And I don't think we're only, back in the day, Google was like the main way that people go get educated. Like, and now we're in a new era where the rise of media of, I can go to TikTok and get some information. I can go to YouTube to get some information. I can go to listen to my favorite podcasters to get information. I think it's changing so much, which it's a great way that HubSpot's thinking about that. I want to go into how you think about who these creators are for the network. How do you invest in creators? How do you think about that? Yeah, so it's interesting, right? When we started, there's a bunch of answers to this question. I'll start with, we started going down this road. We made some assumptions about creators. And part of these were like, I'm a creator, right? I host a podcast, Marketing Against the Green. My first job at HubSpot was I ran the HubSpot blog. I've had different podcasts over the years, like I make stuff. And one of the challenges about making stuff and creating stuff, like some of our principles is like, oh, people who like to create, like to create, they don't like the other stuff. They don't like the administration, the like busy work, the editing, all of that. They're like, they like the research, the storytelling, the performance of it. So that was one thing we thought of. The second is it's like, it's pretty lonely. You know, like I would remember writing and just being like, I am completely stuck. I do not know what to write about. And once I do, like, I don't know how to get going and actually like create and finish this thing I'm trying to do. And it's like this painful, lonely existence. And we were like, oh, well, if we want to work with creators, we should solve their core pain. And so we basically always said, it's like, hey, you can either come and join our team as a creator or you can partner with us as, as a creator. We're open to, you know, we bought the hustle. And so we brought on a big team of creators. Our podcast networks, that's mostly partnerships where we partner with those creators. But what we do is we give them a community manager. We help connect them to each other. We make it less lonely. And for some of our creators, we help with the production, all of those things. We basically try to take the pain of being a creator out so that a creator can do what he or she is trying to do most, which is like, I want to build an audience around this topic that I am deeply passionate about. And I have unique experience, insights, data, stories around this that I think I can actually share and that people are going to come around. And so our whole investment around creators are like, cool, well, like, just fix those problems for you. And let's try to not do these like one-off, like, you will you make me a video kind of thing? And instead of, like, how do we have this long-term partnership where we both win and we both get more successful. Like, for example, like 
if you're a creator in our podcast network, on average, your podcast grows 40% year over year. Like that's faster than most podcasts grow on average, right? And so it's like, oh, there's clear benefit for somebody to come on and work with us. I think that what you thought about is great because, I mean, the main thing that, let's be honest, most creators aren't even good at that administration stuff. So then when they no, do no, it- No, they're terrible they at it. I'm bad at it. Yeah, I'm terrible at it too. So when you start getting creating, you just don't know, you like, oh, I want to edit this. And then it makes you not want to do the next episode and the next episode and the next episode. So I love that you sold that pain point. I also want to go into, how do you think about topics? Like, I know that you have a wide range of podcasts, but like, how do you- go and say, I want to work with these podcasts or is it an application process? How do you think about where and who? That's a really good question. What you find out is that there are different kind of classifications of creators. There's creators who are just getting started. And we those are like, what we did is we basically mapped creators to kind of venture back, the venture back startup model, which is like, there are seed creators. There's somebody who has an idea and they're just getting started, just like a seed stage company. There's kind of like a series A creator who, you know, they've got audience fit. You know, they've got a show, maybe 10,000 people are listening to their podcast that's starting to grow and everything there. Then there's kind of like your scale up creator, your series B, series C creator who like, oh, like you have a real audience now, but you're trying to break through and become, you know, a top 200 podcast, you know, that kind of thing. And then you have your like, really top, like established, scaled up creators. And what we thought of is like, oh, we want to have creators across those different levels and how we support them and how we partner with them or how we hire them is going to work, is going to be different depending on what stage they are at in their creator journey. And a lot of that comes down to economics, right? Like if you're making a bunch of money off of being a creator, it's very different from like, I'm not making anything. And so you can kind of, you know, once you're making a bunch of money, you're like, I don't know, I can't go and do these couple of things that'll cost me a bunch of money. Whereas like, oh, yeah, I want to be part of this network for free in the early days because I care about growth more than anything else. And so there's just different trade-offs depending on where you are in that journey. Yeah, especially for like podcasting because oh, growing totally. alone in podcasting. Yeah, podcasting is one of the hardest channels to grow in the world. Yeah, we just did a, on marketing Instagram, we just talked, we did a show with Sean Purry from My First Million and, you know, he sold multiple companies, everything. And we're like, man, what's the hardest thing you ever had to grow? He's like, podcast. Unequivocally, a podcast is the hardest thing to grow in the world. And he's right. Oh, look, I've grown everything under the sun. I can promise you marketing podcast is the hardest thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it's also like, I think there's different things the way to think about There's like your network grows really well from podcasting. And that's like the huge benefit of podcasting for me, at least. And your ability to gain knowledge faster grows the podcast. But that grind of just getting listens and repeat listens, because you don't know who your audience is because the platforms don't show anything. So it's hard to really tell who's actually listening to your podcast. So that's what we kind of talked a little bit. I, what I would tell anybody growing any type of media platform as a marketer, right? Media is just a different format of, of product. And one of the things you were just talking about, Dan, is like the more feedback you get on something, the easier it is to grow it. And like podcasts, for example, are a low format medium. As soon as our podcast went on YouTube and we started having YouTube comments, I was like, this is amazing. I actually know what people think about my show. And like you can start making the product better. And that's a really hard 
thing to do. So first of all, like whatever feedback you can get in media, regardless of kind of the format or channel is really, really important. And then the second thing is like, there's essentially a chart that you can graph of depth of engagement is inversely correlated with distribution, which means like the lower somebody engages with something, the easier it is for you to distribute that. Like a blog article, like people might read it for like 20 seconds and actually like between Google search and social, like it's actually pretty easy to promote an article, right? But if somebody's spending 30 minutes with you on a podcast and like they're deeply, deeply absorbed in it, it's a much harder thing to promote because you're asking for a much bigger time commitment from somebody to like actually listen, listen regularly, subscribe, all of those things. Like that's a pretty big lift, even if it is quote unquote free, it's not free because they're, you're asking a lot of their time. Yeah. It's the trust building aspect of it. And I think the way that I see now that people do it is you start building trust higher up the funnel where you can start building like, Hey, I have a strong social network. I have a so strong social profiles. That's getting me attention, building trust that I have expertise. Then maybe I have like a little, a next format of either a blog or newsletter where now I can show even more in-depth expertise, but it's like longer form. And then once you've got it called trust, then a podcast can come in there and say, okay, if it's easier for you to consume or, yeah. or you put it on YouTube and stuff like that, or you have those little nail bites, but it always starts with building something top of funnel to build trust, to get someone. And that's what I found. Like I built like a LinkedIn presence first to be able to gain trust Distribute. for people to even listen. Otherwise, there'll be no, yeah, distribution and trust. I think those are the two things that you need to build a podcast is find distribution networks and then find ways to keep building trust with the audience. Couldn't agree more. How do you think about, in like HubSpot's media empire, how do you think about like, okay, the different like parts of the media funnel for each different types of media asset? For example, like I'm thinking like, for like top of funnel, we have these media or even, well, however you think about it, maybe because how I think about it is like, okay, you have like these free assets, top of funnel, like you have, the, well, first you have like social and then you have like these free assets that people can tune into. And then you have the next level where you, you go into kind of like some sort of community, some other level of thing. And then the bottom is like product events, stuff where they pay to come to your product. So how do you think about like, the funnel of media. Yeah, look, I think of media largely as a channel of influence. And, you know, when I think about media overall, whether it be email, blog post, podcast, whatever have you, I think, okay, I have this channel that people consume because they get value. Kind of the top of the funnel of it for me is like, I need to grow that audience. So people need to subscribe or consume that content regularly for me to grow that audience. So how am I what is my ability to grow my subscribers? Then am I retaining my subscribers? Are people actually continuing to consume or is my listen duration long enough? Those types of metrics. And then the second is, how am I monetizing that influence? Am I monetizing the influence of this media directly or indirectly? And so indirectly would be like, oh, it's contributing to our brand awareness. It's contributing to our referral traffic, our direct traffic, but it's not like this perfect direct response, like click measure, action. And if you're monetizing directly, hey, you're going to go do. And there are some channels that are a blend of those. Like YouTube is a perfect example. YouTube can build a lot of indirect monetization, but also like 
people click links in YouTube descriptions and go and take actions and sign up for products and do those things. And so it's also a direct monetization channel. And so what we're looking for is for a given media property, both like kind of show, channel, what have you, is the monetization, like is a return on our investment good across both direct and indirect investment. And normally we'll look at that as like, it's almost kind of like an opportunity cost. It's like, we could spend the same dollars with in AdWords or Facebook ads, what have you. How is this, is this better and how much better is it? Normally for us, it's significantly better. That's why we keep doing it. But you do need to kind of think about the kind of business and monetization side of it in that way, I think. Yearly email list decay is about 23%. You think you're exempt? But we've seen so many businesses lose their email provider due to high bounce rates. For one client, 21% of the list was invalid. Around 2 in 10 emails, a 20% bounce rate. Thankfully, Zerobound's email verification eliminates bounces with 99% guaranteed accuracy. Visit www.zerobounce.net and use promo code Millennials20 for 20% off today. There's no easier way to zero bounces. How do you look at like, because there's obviously like quantitative things you could look at, but how do you keep track of like the qualitative stuff that comes in that, oh, hey, these are like the best podcasts I've ever listened to. Like, oh, this blog helped me be, become better at our job. Like those type of things. This is what I would tell you. And this is the best way I've ever figured out how to just explain this. Somebody out there is smarter than me has probably figured out a better way. But like awareness and influence is kind of like buying a, a precious stone or a scarce resource, right? Like, for example, like if you are going to go buy a, a diamond, right? A two carat diamond isn't the cost, the same cost as two one carat diamonds, right? It's actually more expensive because it's, there is a different scale of value because of scarcity. And I think the same thing about brand awareness, like a point of brand awareness isn't the same, right? Like if you have 40% awareness in your market versus 60% awareness in the market, that is a drastic difference. Like that, like that is, that is a more than, you know, you would be like, oh, well, I only increased my brand awareness from 46%. I only had a 50% increase, but you're like, no, no, no. Like that is way more valuable than it seems on the surface. And the same thing goes in media. Like, there's something to be said about like, oh, I have a podcast network, but I have some shows that are just like top 50 shows that hundreds of thousands or millions of people love and deeply resonate with. And that builds trust in a way. And you basically have to assign an intangible value to that. And it's not a perfect science, but part of a marketer's job I've always felt like is to know, have the barometer of taste and cool. It's like, oh, I know to be relevant and for people to actually care about me, I need to like kind of be above this bar of cool. And some of that's like, gosh, you got to have some hits to pull that off. You can't just have a bunch of like small niche shows, for example. I think that's, I mean, that's right. I mean, that's why media is just hard and why people find it hard to invest in it. Well, no, no. This is why people find it hard to invest in it. This is my one of my biggest pet rocks in the whole world is there is magnitude and predictability. And those two things are in opposition to each other. The more predictable something is, the lower the magnitude, the lower the variance of like what you could possibly achieve is. And the whole world is obsessed with predictability. They would rather spend money on something that is predictable than something that is unpredictable. 
And because of that, they miss out on all the magnitude. And I have a belief system as a marketer of like, I'm either relevant or I am not. I can't increment my way to relevancy in win a market. I have to have breakaway hits. I can't just like slowly do the same couple of strategies over and over again until I get, you know, 5% better each year. Like I have got to get 50, 100% better each year. And that is a, like, that is a counterintuitive way to think about it. But I think it is also the only way to build a truly remarkable business today. That's one of the best statements I've ever heard. Because I think you can't really buy relevancy or trust. You have to prove no. that those things. And you don't get it from doing like basic shit, like sponsoring trade show booths and stuff, right? Like you only get relevant from being a part of the community, being seen, taking real chances. And I think that is what people miss out on. It's like, well, you know, I got our Facebook leads are doing and our AdWords leads are doing good. We'll just spend another 10% there. When it's like, at some point, you're going to max out on your audience because nobody's aware of who you actually are and you're just, your growth's going to flatline. Yeah, I've seen that over and over at companies. I wasn't marking ops for a while and like you, you see... Year one, we're crushing the, <laughs> totally. the numbers. And then year two, and it's like, what are we doing? How can we pull the lever to do it? And then year three, it's like, oh shit, we forgot to build brand. Now we have to go <laughs> to the drawing board again. And it's not just branded. It's like at HubSpot, we think about like Brian Halligan does the Warren Buffett, who loves the Warren Buffett quote of like, today we sit in the shade of the trees we planted from seeds many years ago. And part of it is just like, cool, what am I going to invest in this year that isn't going to do jack for me this year? but is going to have a meaningful impact for me next year or the following year. And having that like time horizon and ability to do that is hard, but that's actually what allows you to have real scalable long-term. At HubSpot, do you guys, so is in your marketing plan, is there, how many seeds do you think about? I know, cause you're big, but like, do you think about, okay, like what seed am I gonna plant this year? Like, or? Yeah, every time I planned every year, I have like, oh, what is incremental? Like, what are we just going to do a little bit more of? And like, what's a net new thing that I'm going to make a bet on? And normally, the problem is if you do too many net new things, most, well, first of all, it's hard to afford them. Second of all, like, they're not going to be that successful. And so we normally have between kind of one to three big net new, like, seeds that we want to try to plant each year. And we know that those seeds are going to take 12, 18, 24 months to really come together. And so the first year, we basically don't model in any like actual business value from them. But we have to, which basically means you have to get even better at the stuff that you have been doing because you got to squeeze more improvement out because you got to fund the seeds you're planting. And that's what's hard. And that's why a lot of people don't do it. I want to ask you a question for, say, if you were consulting for a, a small business that wants to get into building some sort of media for their business. What are, what's like a piece of advice you would give to them? Well, I mean, it depends on the size and scope of the business, but I have found in media, you got to have anchors. You got to have like centers of gravity. And so you got to pick one channel and have one really successful thing in that channel to start. Whether you build it, whether you buy it, like that's what you have to do. And so you have to look around and say, oh, what is the formats that are the most consumed and most popular with my audience? How do I get the skills on my team necessarily to succeed in those formats? And then what is like the editorial strategy that I think will actually win? And then you have to know, depending on the format, that 
the time to value is going to be longer than you want. There's a level of patience that's required to be successful there. Yeah, that's great advice. I always say like, especially like even creators, I always say it to them as like, just dominate one channel first. Like, totally. You can't that's the game. You can't dominate five channels at one time because you're just going to be C plus on every channel. Well, you also can't fail enough, right? Like when you're spread too thin, you don't get the feedback loop of like, oh, I did all these things and they sucked and now I can get better. It's like, I did all these things and they're so average that I, I nobody even cared about them. And like, that's what's hard. Yeah, the feedback loop is, is crucial because that's what lets, for example, if you dominate one channel, you could be like, okay, these are the 10 things that worked on that channel. They probably will work on the other channel too. We just have to adjust the format, the how we're distributing it, but it's probably going to work on that channel as well. 100%. One question I also have for you is you're big on like hiring great people. Is it the same criteria that you have for hiring creators versus hiring great people? There is some overlap and there's some differences, right? The reality is most people don't hire the best person because they are looking for conformity more than they are looking for remarkability, which means they're looking for, oh, has this person worked at a company like mine? Has this person worked on projects like I want them to work on? And do I think they will fit in with the other humans that they need to work with, right? Like the average person hiring a marketer or a creator, like that's the filter they're using. And it's the completely wrong filter. The right filter to be using is, what does this person accomplish that is fundamentally remarkable? You know, like if you have grown anything from zero to one, I will talk to you. Like if you have an interesting growth story, I believe those growth skills are very transferable and can be applied in any situation. Do you have an endless curiosity and are you able to learn really quickly? Because marketing is essentially just a learning skill. And the second is like, do you have a real point of view and perspective? And belief system, because you're going to need to, because creators especially are leaders. There's somebody by definition that people want to follow and want to listen to. And so if you don't have a clear perspective or point of view, people aren't going to follow you. The problem is if you have a real clear perspective, real point of view, you're going to disagree with a lot of people. And that's where the conformity kind of like the organ rejects people of an organization where you're like, oh, well, you're not like the rest of us, so we don't want you here. And it's like, no, 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 that's exactly why you should want them there because they're not like the rest of everybody on that team. And I think that's the biggest challenge with creators is that most companies don't realize that they're kind of different personalities, they're motivated by different things, and you need to not try to conform them to how the rest of your team works. Is that like the same? So the conformity thing, do you also look at for like new hires as well, like. Oh, totally. So, cause I think, I, I mean, how do you train to say like hiring managers to not think like that? Cause I think that's internal, like sometimes that's biases that come into play that say like, okay, that's. It's incredibly hard. Part of the bias is that every hiring manager wants somebody who's going to listen to them and going to ramp up in their role very quickly, right? Like that's largely the incentives of a hiring manager. And those are normally counter incentives to actually doing really great work. Doing what they should actually want is somebody who will challenge them, be a thought partner to them, and elevate and bring a different perspective to the problems they're trying to solve. And so we try a lot of different things, prompting different interview processes, different interview questions. There's no perfect way. The biggest thing you can do is 
like the conversation you and I are having, like just you have to have that with people over and over again of like, what biases are you leaning in on that aren't right? And you have to always have the teachable lesson of like, if somebody hired a star, help them understand why that person is so good. And if they hired somebody that didn't work out, the pro like they can't lose the lesson. You can't let them move on from that person and be and let them hire another person just like them. You have to take the moment and say, well, why didn't this person work out? What would you do differently in hiring the next person? What biases like got us to that place? And I think those are the steps that are really meaningful in in building a team. Yeah, it's kind of the lessons you're saying is is exactly how you think about marketing too. Is like, what can we learn from like successes we did in marketing, and what can we learn from things that flopped? I mean, things are going to flop, but if we just if they keep flopping, that they if you just don't learn and you keep doing the same thing, that's where things go bad. I try really hard to remind people like you are more likely to fail as a manager by hiring some mediocre person who's going to stick around way too long and do an average job than you are in hiring somebody who you're taking a big risk on, but has the potential to be a hugely additive member of your team and just doesn't reach that. Right. So like you might as well take the chance that you're going to know much faster if that person works or not. And if you're just hiring somebody who's going to do okay for a year and you kind of missed a year of being able to have somebody in that role who was doing like great, great work. Risk versus reward when it comes to that. Correct. Correct. One question I like to ask people on this podcast is, what is a marketing hill you would die on? <laughs> I, have, I have a lot of marketing hills I would die on. No, my, my number one marketing hill is distribution is everything. Like distribution sur- solves all woes, which normally means like if you have a big flow of new prospects coming in, you can figure out how to monetize them. It also means like you shouldn't make something that you don't know how you're going to distribute out in the world, right? Like you can interpret that a lot of different ways, but I just have an entire bias and belief towards distributing and getting your product or service out in the market. I love that. And that one word goes down to everything you just said, like content, media, product, everything is distribution. Completely. If you think about it like that, that's amazing. One thing I also want to say is um, I'm super excited to come hang out at Inbound this year. Yeah, I'm excited excited. you're going to be at Inbound 2023. Come to Boston. If if you're listening to the pod, you're going to be doing a pod there. I'm going to be doing a pod there. Come hang out with us. Say hi. We'll be be doing all kinds of fun stuff around Boston that week. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, come hang out with us in Boston. It's going to be fun. I'm excited his podcast is, I'm trying to climb near his podcast, but his podcast is always in the top 10. So it's hard to climb to his podcast, but he, he has a great podcast. You, uh, you have a great podcast and it's going to be great to see it live. And Inbound is going to be fun with the Reese, Jeter, every, all, oh, all the cool yeah. names. The speaking lineup is amazing this year. And I have to say, just this thought of, this is just my actual feelings about it. Like Inbound, it, when I was like started in marketing like 10 years ago, my first thing is like, I want to go to inbound. It looks like the coolest conference. And it's always been like that per- like thing that in my back of my head was like, I want to go to inbound. I want to go to inbound. I want to go to inbound. Because it's always been like that. And then I went for the first time last year and I was like, ah, oh, it, it lived up to expectations. Inbound is what inbound is. So that's that's very kind. Thank you. You got to, it's also for people out there, manifest what you want to like do and like, like, like Hell I yes. really wanted I to be that. inbound. Yeah. So. Lastly, I want to just plug where could people find your podcast? Where could people find follow you and all that type of stuff? 
Yeah, find Marketing Against the Grain on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, threads, everything. I am at Kip Bodner, K-I-P-P-B-O-D-N-A-R. And you can find me there. Well, thank you so much for joining. This has been great and love the conversation. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Looking forward to see you in a few weeks. Thanks so much for listening. Keep tuning in to hear more great insights from the coolest marketers from around the world. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and follow the Marketing Millennials podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, I would greatly appreciate you giving us a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community. 